Nowadays, it is hard to find unbiased and factual news, especially about politics. With partisan commentators dominating the ratings and networks, the American people are left to find the truth themselves. It is time for people to hear the truth. It is time for people to not have to hunt for the truth. The Political Informant is a new podcast that seeks to do just that. My name is Joseph Moronsky, and I am sick of opinion passing as news. News is fact. News is clear. News is unbiased. Welcome to The Political Informant. Your place for fact-first politics. It's a big week in politics. Joe Biden will be inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States. The United States declared the Chinese government's treatment of Uyghur Muslims a genocide. President Trump has removed some travel restrictions on foreign countries due to COVID-19 and much more. I'm Joe Moronsky, and you are listening to The Political Informant. January 20th, 2021 at noon. That is the start of the Biden administration in the White House. President-elect Joseph Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris are slated to be inaugurated right at that time in a very different ceremony than ever before. Currently, 25,000 National Guard troops are guarding the Capitol. There are troops representing every single state, territory, and the District of Columbia. That has never happened before. We have never seen that many troops at the Capitol any day, especially the inauguration. And then on top of that, we have National Guard's troops activated in California, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Maine, Minnesota, North Carolina, New Mexico, Nevada, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Texas, Utah, Washington, and Wisconsin. That all comes after the FBI warned of possible attacks on state capitals. Now, these governors were not taking chances, obviously, on both sides of the aisle. We have places like California with Democratic governors and places like Florida with Republican governors. These governors don't want to see what happened in D.C. happen at their capitals, and they're being very proactive. There are 34,000 guards active across the nation. 12 guards were just removed from Washington, D.C. after an intense vetting process showed ties to right-wing militia groups. An official spoke to the Associated Press on the phone under the condition of anonymity and did not disclose what groups or who these troops were. But all we do know is that 12 guards had ties to the right-wing militia groups. Trump's not going to be there, but he's not the first to do so. A lot of news headlines are reading in an unprecedented event, President Trump won't attend the inauguration. Well, quite simply, that's not true. This is not unprecedented. He's actually the fourth president to do so. The first was John Adams, who was the second president of the United States. Second was John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States. Third was Andrew Johnson, the 17th president of the United States. And of course, now President Trump, the 45th president, will not be attending the inauguration of Joe Biden, the 46th president. But it is not unprecedented. We keep hearing that word, and quite frankly, it's just not true. Vice President Mike Pence will be in attendance, 
and Biden has hinted that the inauguration will be similar to the Democratic National Convention. It's going to be mostly virtual. We're not really sure what that means. Is it going to be outside, inside? All we know is that there are things set up outside the Capitol, but for what, we're not 100% sure. Usually 200,000 tickets are given to congressional members to give to their families, to some of their constituents, but this year, those tickets are not there. They're just simply not there. They were not given out, and the D.C. mayor even called for people to stay home on Inauguration Day. With the inauguration on Wednesday, President Trump delivered his farewell address on Tuesday around 4.30 p.m. Now, usually this is a live address, but President Trump released a pre-recorded message on the White House YouTube channel. In it, he thanked his family, staff, Secret Service, armed forces, and even more people. He discussed some of his accomplishments, such as record low unemployment and record high stock market days. At the end, he nodded his supporters and said, quote, Now, as I prepare to hand power over to a new administration at noon on Wednesday, I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. There's never been anything like it. The belief that a nation must serve its citizens will not dwindle, but instead only go stronger by the day. Corporate America has come under fire from the left in recent weeks. Most notably, Democrats have been calling for companies to ban President Trump, stop donating, and condemn the violence that they say he is responsible for. Now, most notably, Twitter did ban President Trump. However, the Twitter suspension program dates as far back as 2010. The first notable suspension was December 8, 2010, when they suspended Operation Payback. Now, this was a coordinated service denial executed against MasterCard, Visa, and PayPal. Twitter has suspended left-wing figures, such as hackers of the Westboro Baptist Church. However, they have definitely suspended more right-wing figures. There's no argument about that if you look at Twitter's history. But then that brings up a unique question. Is this due to attacks on right-wing figures by Twitter? Or do right-wing figures violate the Twitter policies more? Only time will tell with this but it'll be very interesting to see which one of those it is. Twitter has handed down 16 suspensions since January 7th, 2021. They are handing down suspensions like they're candy, uh, and, it, and it definitely enters dangerous territory. Now, a lot of right-wing activists are saying it's a huge First Amendment violation, but quite frankly, it's not. The First Amendment can only be violated by the government. A private company cannot violate your First Amendment rights. Yes, maybe it is censorship, but it is not a First Amendment violation. We enter dangerous, dangerous territory when people who are a little confused start making claims. That's solely because they don't know the facts. Now, are they to blame for that? Is their education to blame for that? Or is media that doesn't cover the truth to blame for that? So in a very interesting survey, Jeffrey Sonnefeld of the Yale School of Management conducted an informal poll of some of the top executives, 40 to be exact. Uh, so we're going to go through question by question. I'm going to give you some of these answers uh, and propose some other questions that these then bring up. So the first question he asked was, did President Trump help incite the violent attack on Congress? 100% of these executives said yes. Now, did they vote this way because this is how they truly feel? Or is it because this is how they think they should feel? 
The second question was, should President Trump be impeached and removed from office? 96% of these executives voted yes, with only 4% voting no. Now, this brings up another interesting question. Do they actually think he will be removed? We have since found out that the trial in the Senate is not taking place until after he is out of office. So where do we go from there? We can't remove the man from office. He's already out. So what do you do? Do you ban him from running in 2024? Or does the Senate not convict him? The third question was, was it right for social network tech firms to block President Trump from their platforms? 85% of the executives said yes to this question and 15% said no. But do they think it impedes on the First Amendment or do they think that corporations should respect government officials? This goes back to an earlier point. Private companies can't violate your First Amendment rights. However, should these private companies understand that government officials are in a unique position and need access to talk to people? The fourth question was, should business PACs and trade associations cut off donations to legislators who aided sedition? 100% of the executives said yes. Now, is that because they disagree with what happened and the fact that these legislators voted to overturn the election, or is it because they don't want to be associated with them for publicity reasons? We're seeing that way too often nowadays. You know, in a cancel culture, people will do anything they can to not be canceled, even if that means lying. And some of these people behind closed doors are not the same people you see out front on a stage talking to a company, talking to friends and family. You know, these people put on a persona so that they don't have a publicity nightmare. The fifth question was, should businesses halt all political donations? Now, this means regardless of political party. And 42% of the executives said yes, with 58% saying no. So this brings up a unique question. Why? Wouldn't it be considered a loss of profit to keep donating? But it truly just shows the influence that corporations have in politics. These corporations are making multi-million dollar donations to people and then calling in favors. And the last question that was asked was, do you think that Washington will be under attack a week from when the survey was taken? 82% said yes, with only 18% saying no. Now, a week from when the survey was taken is not Inauguration Day. It's January 13th. So do these corporations not trust law enforcement to protect the Capitol? Did they not think they were going to get things under control? Or did they think that the president would influence these people to go back out? Now, this means a lot for the future of corporations and politics. First of all, we could see large cuts in donations to those who voted to overturn the election. Or we could see the names of corporations disappear while other cover names appear. You know, corporations are very shady at times, and they have no problem making large donations under a different name, but making sure the politician knows who it came from. We could also see vast cuts in political donations from corporations, but we most likely won't. As I said, corporations play a huge part in politics, and these politicians often need the money that they are giving them. We could see an uprising in grassroots campaigns, which we have seen from the left, but not so much on the right. Now, of course, there's a few grassroots campaigns we've seen on the right, uh, but the left definitely has more success with those grassroots campaigns. And of course, we could see 
less of an influence in politics from corporations if politicians stop accepting donations from them. People on both sides of the aisle have been calling on this for years. The general public is done. They don't want politicians whose pockets are lined by corporations that then call in favors at the expense of small business and the general public. Americans are done playing games. They don't want public officials who go in and work for corporations. They want public officials who go in and work for them. Uyghur Muslims. Not a lot of people know who they are, but the United States just declared that the Chinese government's treatment of them is a genocide. Now, the statement came from the State Department about a year after a Biden spokesperson said the same thing. Now, the Chinese government is utilizing internment camps and forced sterilization in the Xinjiang region. There's been years-long debate about this issue, but no consensus has been reached with State Department officials and lawyers fighting for years about whether or not to declare this a genocide. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that Chinese officials were, quote, engaged in the forced assimilation and eventual erasure of a vulnerable ethnic and religious minority group, end quote. Now, this denunciation is the strongest one to date by any government in the world. It is a huge step to making sure that the Uyghur Muslims are protected. Now, of course, officials in the Xinjiang region, specifically the deputy director of propaganda, are speaking out and fighting back. He said, quote, this utterly untethered fabrication of, quote, genocide regarding Xinjiang is the conspiracy of the century. People of all ethnic groups independently chose safe, effective, and appropriate birth control measures. There has been no such problem of, quote, mandatory sterilization in the region, end quote. China has deflected by calling the Trump administration out for what they call major failures, such as the death of 400,000 Americans due to COVID-19 and the mob that breached the Capitol. The Trump administration has not spoken out against these claims, but the Chinese government is clearly using this as a tactic to deflect on being called out for the wrongdoing they are partaking in. Now, some sanctions are already in effect, such as blacklisted police departments in Xinjiang and blacklisted companies in China but more are expected. However, the use of the term genocide presents a unique challenge for the United Nations. The United Nations Genocide Convention was convened after World War II. They came to the conclusion that countries must take action against genocides and that genocides can happen whenever and wherever. According to the UN legal website, quote, the crime of genocide is defined in Article 2, the provision that sits at the heart of the convention. Genocide is a crime of intentional destruction of a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group in whole or in part. Article 2 lists five punishable acts of genocide. This definitional provision has stood the test of time, resisting calls for its expansion, and it is reproduced without change in such instruments as the statutes of the ad hoc tribunals for the former Yugoslavia and Rwanda and the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, end quote. Now, where do we go from here? We could see new sections against the Chinese government, which we most likely will see. If not from the Trump administration, those will most likely come from the Biden administration. 
we could see ties cut with corporations in China, increased taxes on goods here in the United States, and a possible insertion of the United Nations and eventual trial of the Chinese government. With the COVID-19 pandemic still ongoing, things are changing. On March 11, 2020, March 14, 2020, and May 24, 2020, the Trump administration issued different executive orders restricting travel to the United States. These restrictions included the People's Republic of China excluding the special administrative regions, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Shenzhen area, the United Kingdom excluding overseas territories outside of Europe, the Republic of Ireland, and the Federative Republic of Brazil. Well, President Trump on the 18th of January 2021 issued a new executive order. In this, he terminated the restrictions of entry of certain travelers from the Shenzhen area, the United Kingdom, the Republic of Ireland, and Brazil. These are slated to take effect on January 26, 2021, and the restrictions are still in effect for the Islamic Republic of Iran and People's Republic of China. In the executive order, President Trump stated that the reason for these two countries still having restrictions is their failed cooperation in sharing timely and accurate information with U.S. health officials. Additionally, effective January 26th, the CDC released new guidance that people entering the country must present a negative COVID test. Now, these go hand-in-hand with President Trump's revised travel restrictions, and he even said that these came at the suggestion of the CDC secretary. We're expecting these restrictions, however, to be reimposed by the Biden administration, but critics are questioning why they would be reimposed when you could rely on the negative test and a rigorous quarantine process to enter the country like many other countries have implemented. With everything going on, it's important to stay informed and know the truth. Although it may be hard to find truth at times, know that the truth will always prevail. Keep fighting the good fight of finding honesty and remain active in your political communities. Thanks for joining me. I'm Joe Moronsky, and this has been The Political Informant.